0: Welcome to SME Radio. On this episode of Mid-Market Matters, I'm joined by Natasha Hawken. Natasha is the Managing Director of Employee Matters. And Employee Matters works across Australia and New Zealand with 16 people helping businesses hire to fire and everything in between. And there's a whole stack of things that are in between hiring and firing, and it's all really important to get them right. So we're going to talk today about JobKeeper, about getting people back to work, about what work might look like after COVID and some of the other key things that Natasha's seen and heard as a result of what's going on at the moment. Natasha, firstly, thank you for joining us.
1: Oh, my pleasure. I'm always happy to chat with you, Craig.
0: Maybe a bit of background. How did you get to employee matters and and doing the sort of work that you're doing? Tell us a bit about your background.
1: Yeah, so my career started in banking and finance, working in dealing rooms in the 80s when greed was good. I then became a recruitment consultant for my sins and I learnt how not to run a business. And then I was lucky enough to join a professional consulting firm and that's where I believe I learnt best practice and now I apply it in a way that makes commercial sense to that mid-tier business. And Employee Matters has been going for about eight years now and uh, we have a team of HR professionals and recruitment professionals who help our clients build employee assets and not liabilities.
0: Fantastic. So obviously at the moment, the disruption that people are going through with COVID and the change in work arrangements, locations, technology, et cetera, is pretty substantial. Um, Maybe just tell us a little bit about what you're seeing in the market and then we can drill down
1: into some of the specific areas. It's interesting, Craig, when this all happened, I went, my God, businesses never needed HR more than what they need them now. And there's a couple of reasons for that. We literally began a global experiment around working from home. That went in three phases. There's the technical phase around how do you physically work from home? What's the WHS side of that? What's the risk? What's the flexibility? What's the reward? Then phase two is all right, now I've got all my people at home and I can't actually see them. How could I make sure they're productive? And how do I performance manage someone virtually? Around misconduct or or poor performance. And then the third phase, which is what we're planning for now with a lot of our clients, is how do you get people to return to the office? What happens if they don't want to go? What happens if you can't physically get everybody into the office? So there's some interesting parts we can drill down on there, but that's what we're seeing as the three phases that have come out of this.
0: It's certainly interesting times, fingers crossed, hoping everything's all right, touch wood and all of that. Um, see things starting to turn around people talking about coming back to work um, etc but before we do that let's just talk for a minute I want to ask you about JobKeeper Um, you know it's the most substantial support program ever introduced by an Australian government Um, how have you seen it how's it working how well are people utilizing it how how does it work overall
1: Yes, uh, I think it was the thirtieth of March. One, uh, one hundred thirty billion dollars worth of wage subsidy. Uh, but my view is very clearly, I'd like your audience to understand. If you think JobKeeper is just about paying a government wage subsidy, then you've actually missed the point. It is, in my view, about having the government pay you to come out of this crisis number one in your industry. Uh, But having said that, uh, Craig, it's an incredibly complex change to legislation that has three components to it. It has an accounting component, which everyone's got their head around now, you know, what makes me eligible, you know, what makes an employee eligible, what are my dates I need to do things from, But then there's a legal component and it's around getting the strategy piece right because you can do some amazing things on a temporary basis around stand downs, partial stand downs, change to hours of work, change to duties. And so as a result of that, there's a HR implication. There's a big people component in this. And what I mean by that is you actually have to consult with your employees. You can't just say, oh, you stood down from tomorrow, not put anything in writing. There's actually a three-day consultation process, which I think – People are missing out on. But what I would love people to get is I see this as an enormous opportunity for those companies who do this really well to actually have the government pay for you to do all those projects on a reduced hours basis that you've always wanted to do but never had time. So I see this as a time to do efficiency reviews, productivity reviews, create new products, test and measure the stuff do systemization get your business ready for sale you know all of that stuff that we all go yeah we know we need to do that but we don't have time because we're all busy in bau and that's why i think um, JobKeeper is potentially game-changing for the people who really grasp that and implement JobKeeper effectively
0: so tell me more about how you would see that working in in a typical mid-market business
1: yeah, so in a big market business, let's assume they have the 30% downturn, which let's face it, a vast majority yeah. have, and I think almost 900,000 businesses have registered. Um, essentially, you need to almost work out person by person what that implication is for them in your business. So, you know, you need to work out, all right, George is in this role. That role, he's going to now get $750 a week job keeper. We can reduce his hours down. You can't reduce his hourly rate. But say, for example, to make the maths easy for me, say he earns $75 an hour, then suddenly he's working 10 hours a week. If he has no normal job to do, you can repoint him to doing something like a proficiency or an efficiency review of a process, And that's where he needs to spend his time, and you're legally entitled to do that to redirect them to other chores or other aspects of their roles. I did a laundry list in my business, Craig, of all the projects, and I tell you what, there's thirty projects in there, and then we've just prioritised them. And the people that that don't have chargeable work at the moment are on uh, JobKeeper projects, and we're just working through them and getting them done, and it makes me feel really good as a business owner in terms of. Where to from here? I think businesses need to get those three aspects, which is the accounting, the legal and the HR advice. And so we came up with a product called the Business Relief Package, Where, and this shows you the innovation that comes out of something like a a pandemic, is I've just partnered with two other businesses to provide, go and get your cash flow done, work out whether you're getting all your entitlements, then go and meet the lawyer, work out what you can do from a strategic legal point of view, and then implement with HR. And that is really powerful when you've got all of those three components cohesively working together.
0: Yeah, it's certainly interesting to think about how that could be utilised. And your example of getting some projects that have been on your list for a long time is just pretty smart use of that downtime. I mean, I guess if you, you know, apart from COVID, which obviously no one wants or needs, but if you could have a period in your business for a month where you can just have some downtime and get some stuff done, it would be hugely valuable. And that's what you're talking about doing using JobKeeper.
1: Absolutely. You know, we even uh, did this with a beautician. Now, um, you might think, well, they can't actually physically work on any clients at the moment. Well, not in New South Wales, because that's not allowed yet. But they went through and went through their whole policy manual and went, all right, is this how we actually do stuff? Because It's been on the shelf sitting there collecting dust for the last couple of years. What can we do to make our business more valuable for when we want to sell it? And then they went through a cleaning phase because they've now had to come up with a new process of how they're going to see clients when those clients come in the door again. Because the way they conducted their business in the past isn't the way they're going to need to conduct it in the future when this finally starts loosening up.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about what's going to happen next. You know, we're hopefully on track to now start to get people to return to work, but that'll be different. You know, that's not going to be returned to work the same as it was three months ago. It's going to be something quite different. So what do you think that's going to look like? What do we need to consider and change when how we're doing that?
1: Yeah, great question. I think let's look at those three phases I spoke about, because I think we're still very much in phase one. So we moved people literally from the offices or their workplaces to working home overnight. And some people literally, Craig, were picking up, you know, consoles of computers and dragging them home because they'd never worked from home before and they didn't have, you know, a bank of laptops to send people home with. Uh, But there has been an increased workplace and health and safety risk with that because your employees' homes are now an extension of your workplace. So you have a duty of care to make them safe in that home environment, which you have very little control over. So there's things you can do to minimise that risk around getting them to complete a wh audit. So, you know, is their computer set up in the right level? Do they have sufficient lighting? Are they going to trip over cords? Are the whole family around the dining room table trying to work together? But not only that, you've got an increased uh, risk around stress. You need to manage the workloads of your employees. The other day I was chatting to a guy at Westpac and he was on the um, phone line And I said, are you at home? And he said, yeah, I am. And he said, you're lucky you're calling now because my two-year-old's asleep. Otherwise, she was screaming an hour ago. The four-year-old's in front of the TV. The wife's at the other end of the dining room table. And he gave me exceptional customer service, but that's a lot going on. So as business owners and managers, you need to be flexible that your team may be homeschooling and can't do your stuff till later at night when things are a bit calmer. The other thing I'd share here is The reality around mental health, so you have a duty of care, we have already seen the stats, we knew it was going to happen. Make sure you have an employee assistance program, counselling for your team. Make sure you're checking in on them just because I speak to Craig today and he's doing well. If I speak to you next week, you may not be doing so well. So you need to manage that mental health and if you think someone's got an issue provides some support. And the last one is the the very scary statistics. The increase has been, I think, 11% to phone line calls for help for domestic violence. In Australia now, you have a duty of care to provide a safe place of work, whether that be in your office, your physical office or at home around victims of domestic violence. And that can be pretty scary because in the past, Craig, we, we didn't have anything to do with that. Now you do. And there's an excellent lady we work with called Janine Lee who helps business owners manage that risk in their business both for the employee that's impacted but also the business because often that happens as well and the other thing i'd share here is guess what everyone loves working from home so i suspect you're going to have a lot of people who are going to say to you actually i quite like this working from home gig and i've proved it can work can i continue this So I think that's going to need to happen. The second part here is around performance management. So say not all your employees are responding well to working from home. You can still performance manage them, but you need to make sure you're doing it in the correct way because none of the laws have changed around unfair dismissal. So, you know, and I think some people are putting off having those conversations that may have been in play before they went home, and then that may make it harder for you to justify the case that you've supported them and, and continue to manage their performance. And it only costs $73.20 to lodge an unfair dismissal complaint. So that's really important. It's really cheap. And I think the other thing is trust. Most people, most employees want to do the right thing, Craig. So if yeah. you, I believe trust begets trust. And you know the ones that are a risk, so you manage those more carefully. And I think you will find that some of your employees have blossomed through this experience of being able to manage their workload and still delivered to your timeframes. An example, I heard a story the other day where a business owner was insisting that his team come to work, even through the absolute height of the pandemic, because he didn't trust them to work from home. Now, I would ask your listeners to imagine what you think the culture of that organisation is like and how that impacts his productivity.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And the last one is returning to the workplace. So I don't know whether anyone's seen some of the stats and we've been doing some work around this. With two people going up a lift, it's going to take five and a half hours to fill half the floors because not everyone will be going to work on the same day to get people into work. Then you've got to get them out of the office to go to lunch unless they bring their lunch in. And then you've got to get them home. Now that is not viable. So I think people need to start to be thinking about how you can get your people back to work if they have to physically go to the office or what's your hybrid model look like. And some really interesting stats here. We had a client who is a professional services and building and maintenance company. And they have, I think, 450 people do a survey. And I found this fascinating. 64% of their team had never, ever worked a day from home. And they asked them whether they felt they were more productive than usual. And they said yes. And then they all said they want to continue working from home. So a third of them said they want to work from home three to five days a week. One to two days a week was 58%. So 91% of their workplace actually want to continue to work from home. So there's some interesting conversations that are going to need to be had and documented and some consulting that's going to need to happen over the next couple of months and potentially years.
0: Yeah, I think it's a fundamental change. I think the example of the lifts, I was speaking to someone who's in a large corporate yesterday and they're in a building that's got, you know, 38 floors or something. And he said, the lifts are a nightmare now. Imagine if you're only allowed to have one person in them.
1: And then you've got to have social distancing when you're up there. And even if he said, bring your lunch in, no one can use the microwave. You know, you can't touch the buttons. So all of that stuff needs to be thought through. And again, it comes back to your duty of care as an employer. You need to be thinking through that because you need to provide a safe place of work from COVID not to mention the stress of mental health and and domestic violence stuff.
0: Once we get through this, and we will, obviously, at some point in the future, there'll be a new sort of workplace arrangement, a new structure, et cetera. What do you think the future workplace is going to look like?
1: Yeah, I've been giving this a lot of thought of late, Craig. As a woman and also from a department being HR that historically has employed a lot of women, many of whom have been desperately seeking more flexibility and this was often denied because it wasn't going to work to varying degrees of success overnight this has been proved that you can actually work from home successfully and productively so i think this is going to allow more talented women and men to return to the workforce where they may not have been able to do it because of whatever circumstances at home and I think we need to imagine a place where people can do their best work in a way that works best for the business and also the employees. That's going to increase your ability to attract talent to your organization. So, I'm fascinated by the future of work, and I think you don't have to look very far to see the increase of AI and bots in the workplace. So I thought it would be really helpful just to quickly define what pieces of technology I'm seeing and how I think the workplace is going to play out. So, Number one, process automation. Most of us know what this is. This is making the boring work, for example, automating forms, points and clicks kind of work done. The second piece in the movement is around deep learning. This is where the computer interprets data and extracts understanding and then actions that. And then the third one is blockchain, which I still am struggling to get my head around, but essentially it's automating trust between companies. So a great way to illustrate this is to say that, an insurance company had a policy that said, I, my flight to Melbourne's two hours late and I can claim. Well, when I get off the plane, I'd find the form, I'd fill out a form and it'd go through to some person, they'd reject or approve it, then they'd advise me and two weeks later, I might receive my payment. When you use blockchain that, and data that's freely available, I would have been paid that before I touched down in Melbourne. So, that is going to be an absolutely game changing piece of technology for the workplace. And when I talk about bots, a great example of this is we're working with a mate of mine called Tony Brooks from Fenbrook, and he helps organizations build digital workers. And digital workers are robots. Robots are people or robots that work alongside people to remove all the repetitive and the tedious work that people have to do. And I know this is going to be scary for some, but I actually think these blended teams of humans and robots will become the new normal, and I actually think my job as a HR professional in the future is working out how we have the right workforce at the right time with humans, with bots, to actually deliver a really successful outcome and production outcome for the business and so if anyone wants to hear more about that check out a site called do less boring.com and you can find out more and we're implementing it in our business at the moment using uh, bots to automate some of our processes that we just don't need to be doing that work we can be doing higher end work.
0: Wow that's a fantastic interesting uh, angle isn't it to think about yeah. you see them already obviously on lots of corporate sites but I think it it is more attainable now the technology is cheaper and more effective so why wouldn't mid-sized businesses be using that as well
1: absolutely and some of the law firms are doing this already it's quite funny craig they actually name the robot so it's fred and fred has a job description and so i think that merging of the workforce where robots humans work together is you know we watch it on sci-fi i think that's closer than what we think it is
0: yeah it's interesting isn't it to see what that'll do to the business Mm. change Overall, COVID's had a massive impact on the economy, businesses, employees, companies have gone broke, you know, people have been lost work and jobs and, you know, we're still looking at airlines in administration, all sorts of problems. The future, though, once we get through that is quite different. You've just spoken about that and what the workforce of the future might well look like. Where else do you think it's going to have a major impact?
1: I am incredibly hopeful that the drain on our rural communities, we're going to be able to turn it around. Now, I do think there's a slight missed opportunity. I don't think NBN took us as far as we could have gone. But Mm -hmm. I actually think with increased uh, broadband access, Australians who have actually not liked what they've seen and experienced around the pandemic and being in a big city might be thinking that those country towns and even that slower pace of life may be more appealing. So... And also, I think the other impact is what we've talked about is that businesses aren't going to be able to physically get everyone back into the office. So mm. I think there's three things we can do. I think, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could attract people back to our rural communities um, and reinvigorate and spread the population over Australia? So I see there's three key areas here. So. Attracting nurses and doctors and police and other key roles through an employee value proposition, you know, better life, cheaper housing, great place to work, and you can still do a great job. The second one is, is there an opportunity to attract people from the larger corporations, people who have big jobs, but actually as long as there's a flight uh, between the close town to a capital city and the fact that we we all use Zoom now, we don't necessarily always have to be physically face-to-face, is there an opportunity to attract people who have got retain their corporate careers back to live in the country. And the third one is as a business owner, I've got a computer, as long as I've got a computer, I can work anywhere. So why may I not want to cho- go and live in Charleville, for example, in far North Queensland? Mm. So. What could that do for our country towns? It could bring them back to life. It could reinvigorate them. It could share income differently around the economy, you know, the country and the economy. Mm. Um, And I just think that's an enormous opportunity. A friend did a story on this for Channel 10. Their little school was about to lose two of their last three students and they did a story on channel 10 and they've now had i think it was nine new students start at that school because people went why am i hanging in the big city when i can do (laughs) great work on a on a property or in the local abattoir or whatever the case may be and raise my family in the way i wanted to so i think there's some options there
0: that's a really interesting angle to have a look at now i think people are just starting to think about that i certainly you know all the meetings in the last six weeks have been done over teams or zoom or web chat or whatever it might be and you don't need to be in Sydney to do that you could well be in as you said Orange or Charleville or anywhere else
1: well, my business is a classic example, Craig. I started my business out of my bedroom eight years ago. I don't recommend it. Um, that's a story for over a glass of wine. But I now have a team who don't work from an office. They work from home or the client side. And I could have got offices a couple of years ago, but there is no point. I don't need the office space. So that's going to be an interesting repercussion of this because I can tell you a lot of the bigger end of town where they've got massive, very expensive office space are going to be looking to reconfigure that. And is that really the amount of space they need
0: yeah yeah absolutely okay before we wrap up your number one tip what do people need to take out of this and go and do
1: I think your employees are your greatest asset. They're also potentially greatest liability and should be treated as such. My big goal is that banks will lend you money on the valuation of that employee asset. My number one tip is you are more dependent than ever on your employees and your management team being able to manage through this crisis for their teams to have the managers' backs and working together together. So I think that you need to invest in your team incredibly at the moment so that you can absolutely quickly navigate, pivot and do whatever you need to do to survive this pandemic. And I, I believe that we're going to see the ones that are nimble and agile coming out of this in enormous positions of strength. And we will lose companies that haven't been able to do that.
0: How do people contact you to get help?
1: Yeah, best place to contact me is on my website, employeematters.com.au or as a speaker and an author on natashahawker.com. Give us a buzz on 0280214206. Fantastic.
0: Natasha, thanks for joining us. That's been fantastic.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Craig. And good luck to everyone. Keep well and remember your employees really do matter. Thank you for listening to SME Radio, proudly produced by EagleWave small business podcasting platform. For more great episodes like this, go to smea.org.au. Remember, if you have a story to tell, we want to share it.